In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul shares his heart about financial matters. And today on Truth Encounter, this is our theme. Our study leader, Dave Wordson, has titled this section, The Preacher Who Didn't Take Dollars. And he renews the discussion we began last week with an important suggestion that could help some of our traveling evangelists from getting into sexual impropriety. Dave? Often the modern church is like the business community. Most of you don't get support for your wife to go along with you. When you go on business trips, the company will cover your need, but it doesn't cover your wife. So then we wonder why we send businessmen and women all over the United States, and they're away for a week or two weeks, staying in foreign cities, and we can't understand why we have problems with morality. 1 Corinthians 7 says, don't go away too long. In the early community of believers, they supported a wife. It's a very good thing, according to this text, that if we have traveling ministers come in, that we'll also provide for their help meet to come with them. It's not an extravagance. The Apostle Paul says it's a very important necessity. But it was one of the things that the early apostles did. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? As do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Zephas. And he says, is it only I and Barnabas, Barnabas and I, that work for a living? And Barnabas and Paul evidently did their tent-making ministry uh, instead of taking support from the church. And he's saying, are we the only ones that don't have the right to support? Now, what is Paul arguing? He says he has the right to sustenance, his food and drink. He has the right to be married. And he has the freedom to not have to work a secular job. Now, those are his rights. And by the way, as we go through here, I think that this text divides almost in half. We're talking about a section now that the church needs to take very seriously. The second part of the chapter talks about what full-time ministers like myself, what they need to take very seriously. And I think that both sides forget. This side is talking about the way that a church family should look at things. The second part of the chapter talks about the way that full-time workers should look at things. And we need to think very clearly about what the Apostle Paul is saying. Then the Apostle Paul proves his case, talking about this delicate subject of an apostle's right to support or a full-time Christian worker's right to support. He uses several illustrations. He begins with some common illustrations from daily life. He says, number one, who serves as a soldier, verse 7, at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of its milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? He begins with a human point of view. I want to ask you, how many of you, when you got drafted into the army, provided your own clothes, provide your own food, provide your own transportation? When I travel, like from DFW somewhere, there's always some soldiers there. And they usually have their orders in their pockets, you know, and I notice they often are treated very well. But the Army pays those bills, or the Air Force or the Navy. They don't pay for their own transportation. Just an everyday reality. A soldier that fights for his country is supported by his company. A guy that plants a vineyard, he plants the grapes and raises the grapes. Do you think he buys grapes down at David's or Surefresh or wherever? No, he eats his own grapes. If you have a bunch of sheep, some of you are very dear friends of mine. You were raised out on a farm. 
and you tell me about slaughtering some of the animals and that provided for you. And that's just common everyday life. And what Paul is arguing, if that's true of a soldier, if it's true of a vine dresser, if it's true of a shepherd, then it's true of, of, a, of a minister of the gospel. If he ministers the gospel, it just is accepted that he can enjoy the fruit from that labor and be supported materially. Then he gives us a proof from the law, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, where it says, doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. What he's picturing is, is an oxen who's threshing out the grain. You don't have an oxen that's walking through barley or wheat that's ready. This is an oxen that's at the threshing floor and he's moving this grinding machine around that separates the pure kernels of grain from the chaff. And what the Old Testament law says is don't muzzle that ox. Don't make it so he can't eat from that grain as he's going around. Let him eat so he has the strength to be able to keep doing the job for you. It's a very beautiful principle. He's saying that if you have someone that's working, and this is true of all of life, and then it's applied to the ministry. If you're in management and people are pulling the plow for you, they're working for you, they're doing the job for you, and they're carrying out what you've clearly defined for them to do, and they've done it with real effort, don't muzzle them. It'll only hurt you in the long run. A lot of companies are realizing that, and the church needs to realize that. What Paul is saying, that if you have a person that's in the traces, pulling the load, don't put a muzzle on them. Make sure they can eat. Make sure they're not handicapped in their work. And the law of Moses told us that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. A very clear illustration from the husbandry of how to take care of an oxen, and it says, do the same thing for the ministers of the gospel. The Apostle Paul remembered that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he talked about the same principle. It says, especially those who work hard at teaching and preaching, make sure that they're not muzzled. Make sure that you free them up from the concern. That's the way the church needs to look at it. We're going to get to the way the ministers need to look at it. And then he closes by giving a couple of other illustrations Verse 10, surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, it was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we? Then he says, but we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar get to share in what is offered at the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. The Apostle Paul throws in this principle, so spiritually, reap materially, then he concludes with two final proofs which nail his case Number one, in the Old Testament temple, the priests, the Levites, 
who offered the sacrifices were given a portion of the sacrifices. Across the land of Israel, 10% of the productivity was given to the Levites who ministered in the temple. The Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, repeated in Luke and Mark, stressed the same principle. Let those who preach the gospel earn their living by the gospel. That's the way that the church should look at it. Now, I want to say something very important. You notice that Paul says, let those who preach the gospel earn their living by the gospel. I want every one of you to evaluate what you give to as far as your spiritual giving. And you need to ask yourself, does what I give to proclaim the gospel? You see, some of you give to colleges, you give to seminaries, you give to churches, you give to individuals, and you're not sure at all whether they preach the gospel. They might have preached the gospel 20 years ago when you went there. Do you know they're doing it today? And I want to share with you, if I ever stop preaching the gospel, if you don't hear what Jesus did for you from me, don't feed me. It's the greatest way to deal with heresy. Greatest way in the world. Just say, sorry, we didn't hear the gospel at all today. We didn't hear what God's word says today. All we heard was a nice little Reader's Digest story. You don't get paid this week. It's a great motivation to get back on the truth. And I'm being a little bit facetious with you, but I'm being very serious as well. The Apostle Paul does not create the foundation of a clergy, of religionists who are culturally ministers and clergy that do nice little things for you. They take care of the religious side of life and you patronize them. That's not at all what the Apostle Paul is talking about. The Apostle Paul is saying if a man is in the traces and he's proclaiming the gospel and he's explaining to people how to be saved and explaining to people how to grow, and explaining to people what the Word of God says, then that individual that sows spiritually in your heart should reap materially. What I want you to recognize is that if someone is involved in the ministry, a ministry of proclaiming the gospel, then free them up to be able to serve. Now, how do ministers look at this? How should those who are receiving this support Look at this giving. And this is something I think that needs to be taken very seriously. The Apostle Paul had the freedom to reject patronage. All that I've said so far is an eloquent scriptural proof of the fact that someone that proclaims the gospel should earn their living from the gospel. And that's the way that a church leadership needs to look at it. Now we're going to get into the way that a full-time worker needs to look at it. You see, there's a lot of full-time workers. I even went to school with some guys that said, I went to school for four years of college, four years of master's work. Some of us went for five more years of doctoral studies. Therefore, my beginning salary should be blank and blank and blank because a school teacher that had my comparable degree would at least start here, and, or doctors and lawyers, whatever it might be. I'm a professional person. As soon as you approach support like that, you've killed it and you've ruined it, and you've spoiled it, and you can never really get Humpty Dumpty back the way it ought to be again. Because the attitude is wrong. I have professional training, but if I act like a professional, then we're dead as a church, and everything will go haywire. As a minister of the gospel, 
it's very important for my attitude to be freedom. Freedom even to reject support if it hinders the work of the gospel. The church family needs to take the first part of the chapter very seriously. But every one of you that's in full-time work needs to take the second part of the chapter, myself included, very seriously. The Apostle Paul would not take support. Why not? Paul was under divine mandate to proclaim the gospel. Look what he says. And am I not writing this in hope, verse 15, that you will do such things for me? I would rather die than for anyone to deprive me of this boast. When I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. But if not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to make use of my rights in proclaiming it. The Apostle Paul is declaring that in his own personal ministry, he would not take support from the new fields that he was seeking to evangelize. And his argument goes like this. On the Damascus Road, I saw the living Christ. And if you read the Acts account in that Damascus Road experience, the Lord grabbed a hold of Paul and commissioned him to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul says, I didn't have a choice in it. I didn't volunteer for service. I was drafted into service. And he says, I am compelled to preach the gospel. In other words, I'm a slave of the gospel. And a slave that serves at the table, a slave that does his master's will, doesn't get paid for. And that was the apostle Paul's freedom in the Lord. He says, I have the right if we want to talk about right, he says, I have the right to be supported by the churches that I found. But Paul freely chose not to take that right. One of the reasons was that across the ancient world, there were teachers that went from one town to another who charged for lectures and received patronage, would go and stay in wealthy people's houses, and they would teach for a fee. The Apostle Paul didn't want to have any connection with those traveling preachers that were teaching Greek philosophy and a lot of other philosophies. And so when the Apostle Paul went into a town, he made tents. And he worked hard with his hands. He worked secular, a secular job. For example, in Ephesus, he'd work all the morning till about 1 o'clock. And then during the break time from 2 to 4 or so in the afternoon, he would meet in the school of Tyrannus and he would teach the city. And then he would go back to making tents. He did the same thing in Corinth. He set up shop with Priscilla and Aquila. And he did that so that he would in no way be a burden to these new groups of people that he was trying to reach. Because he could go to them and just present the gospel. And he didn't charge anything for them to hear the gospel. And, as, and therefore, his entire method, as well as his message, became a statement of freedom and grace. You see, the Apostle Paul believed Christ died on the cross freely for your sins. You don't have to pay him. You don't have to give anything except believe in him. It's a free gift. The Apostle Paul was so committed to that gospel that he didn't want anything to hinder it, and he wanted his entire life to become a statement of the freedom. 
as we move into new areas where we're trying to reach unchurched people, unbelieving people, I think it's very important to not ask them to give, to not ask them to support the proclamation of the gospel. And also, I think that the Apostle Paul was very sensitive to the Corinthian church because they wanted to control him by giving. You see, they wanted to patronize him. They wanted to give him money. And the Apostle Paul escaped all of that. He escaped all that control because he could say to everybody across the empire, nobody supports me. I support myself. Now, the beautiful thing about this is the Apostle Paul is not setting himself up as a model of the way that everybody should do it. Peter didn't do it that way. The other apostles didn't do it that way. James, the Lord's brother, didn't do that. But Paul did. And the reason Paul did is still a valid thing that we need to understand. The reason he wouldn't take support is he didn't want to hinder the gospel. He didn't want anybody to be able to control him. And we must take very seriously those same kinds of temptation in our own day. So the Apostle Paul had the freedom not to take support. It's a very interesting thing because the Apostle Paul didn't even follow what Jesus taught in this regard. It shows you the freedom. He wasn't disobeying a command of the Lord. But he didn't follow the common practice because his ethic, his motivation, his reason was, I want to do everything so that the gospel can be free. And that was his attitude. Let me try to just bring us together as we close. The church family is under a responsibility to not muzzle the proclaimer. And they need to take very seriously the first part of this chapter. Those that are in full-time ministry need to take very seriously the second part of the chapter. And one of the things that we need to take very seriously is that our responsibility, if we are in full-time ministry, is to proclaim the gospel. It's to teach what the Word of God says. As people are ministered to, and as you serve them, and as you're used by the Holy Spirit to meet their need, it's only natural for them to turn around and want to help you materially. And that can be a real strong relationship of love. If the minister ever stops feeding spiritually, then stop feeding him materially. And then over this whole chapter, I want to say this. Paul's preeminent concern was that the gospel be not hindered. And this chapter has convicted me very, very much of the heartbeat of our ministry needs to be the precious gospel of Jesus Christ. Sunday morning needs to be a time, Sunday morning needs to be a time that prepares you to go into every walk of life ready to be unashamed of the gospel. You know what I, I fear very much is that many of you could get involved in many different activities. You could get involved in many different responsibilities. We as a church can get involved in many good things. But if it doesn't lead to the proclamation of the gospel, if it doesn't lead to sharing with people that Christ died for their sins, that he rose again, that they can have a personal relationship with him by entrusting their life to him, then we're not going to invest our life in what genuinely counts. My dad had a brother named Harry. 
He had the same personality that my dad did, a big salesman, banker kind of a guy, very good with finances, and he lived in Long Island. And my Uncle Harry invested his life in the Boy Scouts and, and in boys' clubs, the boys' clubs of New York was a good thing, was a great thing. It played basketball with boys. It provided outings for boys in the Adirondacks. It provided trips for boys. It was time invested in boys' lives. And my uncle was a good man, a moral man, a successful man. And he wanted desperately to help people. He hated the name of Jesus. He hated the gospel. He didn't like the exclusiveness of Jesus. He didn't like for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. He liked the basic goodness of man. These are good boys, and we can help them if we create the right environment. So my uncle invested his life in that. He had a younger brother, 10 years younger than him, my dad. And my dad, when he was 18, met the living Savior, and from that day forth, my dad invested his life in proclaiming the gospel. But one thing that is the, at the heart and soul of my dad is a love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I stop at the, at the toll booth to get the ticket. I'm not even going to give this lady money. I'm just going to get a token, a, a ticket. And I start to drive away, and my dad says, Hey, man! You need to give her this good news. Don't let it go by. So I have to stop the car, back up, say, hey, I forgot something. You'll enjoy reading this a little bit later on your break time. Now, you all laugh at that in a way. I'll be honest with you. I was raised with that. I didn't like the embarrassment. As a little kid, I didn't like being in a restaurant. My dad would sing, let's sing. Sing? I'll praise your name, Lord, and sing your song. I'd say, Dad, you're going to be nuts. Everybody thinks we're weird. That's what I remember. Because every single time I spend time with him, I'm renewed in my commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I want to share with you is you all are pouring your lives into so many things. You've got concerns for this town, concerns for this area. My uncle had tremendous gifts, created tremendous programs, did tremendous things for young people, but he came to my dad as an older man and says, Jack, it was all in vain. I've traced back all the lives of the kids that I tried to meet and the things that I tried to do, and you know, almost every one of those boys that I worked with has gone, many of them have gone in prison, some of them are dead because of drugs. The good environment that I try to create for them the facts that I try to communicate to them about skillful living did not work. And my uncle still wouldn't open his heart and receive the gospel. As far as I know, he might have died without opening his heart to the gospel. You know, everywhere that I go, you know that I travel quite a bit. You know, everywhere I go, there's someone that comes up to me and says, your dad preached the gospel at such and such a place, and I believed. And anywhere in the world that you go, you'll see people that have believed in the gospel through the ministry of Word of Life. You say, Dave, what are you saying? I'm calling for every one of you to recommit yourself, myself included, to living our life for the gospel.
If I need to work what this text is saying, work. Some of you dear brothers and sisters, you want to be in full-time work, but right now the Lord has called you to work. It's not a negative time. You're just like the Apostle Paul. The greatest apostle worked all of his life in his secular profession. And all of you are going to go out into the secular world this week. What are you going to believe? What are you going to share? And I'm just asking us to renew our commitment to be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I promise you that if you run your life like that, when you're all done, it will not be in vain. The gospel, like sowing a very powerful seed, would have literally exploded into a harvest that is unimaginable.